0: Hey guys, welcome to Product Explained, a show where we talk about products and the company's history and strategy behind them. I'm your first host, Jeff Lee.
1: And I'm your co-host, Mike Alcazarin. Hey Jeff, what's your take on chit-chat during an Uber ride?
0: Earbuds in, tuned out. Today's show, Ooh. we're talking about Uber, a transportation company.
1: Yeah, so uh, as Jeff said, Uber is a ride-sharing service, is primarily how we all know it, uh, that takes venture capital money and then subsidizes rides. <laughs> um, just kidding. Uber is really a ride sharing service. It's for folks that really want to go from uh, point A to point B and they can use their mobile phone to, to do so. How Uber operates is they're one of the first forays into what we call the gig economy or the sharing economy, on demand economy, whatever you want to call it. But it's a, a two sided platform, it has drivers and riders. The goal of Uber is to efficiently connect the two with the best economics. So a customer takes a ride, let's say that I wanna go from my house to the airport, I open up the app, I see cars that are available and I book a ride, I see the price and I order it and the driver comes to me, picks me up and I pay the driver. It's interesting with the drivers, a little tangent there is that only 14% are, are female um, drivers. Mm-hmm. And when I was going through Uber's, some of the data, that's one of the interesting factoids that I pulled out. But in terms of how Uber is able to monetize is, you know, let's say I took a $100 ride to the airport. Uber is going to take a cut of that ride. It could be anything from 15 to 30%. All sorts of different you know calculations go into what that take home for the driver actually is. In terms of what the customer is going to pay or, or the rider is going to pay, that's also variable. Uber has gotten a lot of flack for this in the past, but they I think it's kind of interesting and also brilliant, their surge pricing, where if it basically if demand is high and supply is low, prices are going to skyrocket. So imagine that you're leaving a concert, everyone's opening up their phone all at the same time to get a car. What the um search pricing does is basically jacks up the prices it's more expensive so people and that's to incentivize more drivers to get on the the roads to basically meet the demand that that's there so I think that's kind of brilliant I know there's been situations where they've gotten flack for it like in in times of critical emergency um, I know that uh, like if, for example if there was a shooting or like a fire or any kind of you know natural disaster uber has uber hasn't uber's algorithm has taken over and the surge pricing has been in effect so mm-hmm. i know uber's gotten a lot of flack for that and uh, there's other like ways uber will, will make small fees as well or sorry uh, small bits of revenue like through cancellation fees but that's a quite a small bit of the revenue so that that is what uber is in, in a nutshell and, and how they are able to make money or at least attempt to make money which i'm sure we'll dive into later on in the episode
0: yeah. And I think um, most people on the call, if they've you know been in a large city or lived in some large metropolitan area, has used Uber before. I know Uber has been very successful in getting people to get home safely uh, without having to drink and drive, or maybe if it's hard to find a DD, Uber's kind of been there. There's been other competitors, Uber, which we'll talk about in a bit as well. But the surge pricing thing is really interesting. I can't tell you how many times that I've gone out in the past with drinking buddies or whatever, thinking that, oh, yeah, it's going to cost us a total of, I don't know, like 20 something bucks to get there and back. And then when we come back, there's surge pricing, especially in the San Francisco Bay Area. And then like coming back becomes like a very expensive endeavor. Back in grad school, I had to cross the Bay Bridge from Berkeley over to SF. We you know go out and get drinks and come back. And so you're, you're taking a pretty long trip, like a 20, 30 minute trip as well as like coming back during bar closing time, which is already kind of late. And then you're getting surge prices tacked on top and it could get really expensive. But if you're kind of stuck in the middle of nowhere and you have no other options, you're kind of forced to paying whatever sticker price they put on it, right? So it it has gotten uh, in some really weird situations before. But yeah, I mean, Uber tries to look at it from a purely supply and demand perspective, but it's hard when you start injecting these different scenarios and ethics and things like that into it.
1: Totally. And I know um, it's definitely been a while since I've been in an Uber just because we're recording right. this in May of 2021, you know, uh, was this 14, 15 months into the pandemic. Mm-hmm. But the the last Uber ride that I had that I had to deal with surge pricing, I was out in Austin with my buddy Shaw and we were trying to get an Uber as bars were closing and everything was search price, like Lyft was search price, Uber was search price. And I remember I saw a taxi and I'm like, you know what, I'm going to give it a try. You know, so I I, I hailed a taxi <laughs> and he was like 50 bucks. I'm like, you're crazy. It took like, it was like a $10 Uber ride here. And then like I opened up my, back my app and like the app was like, had search price even higher to like $70. So I ended up paying like $70 for the, for the Uber ride. So it, it, it was funny, but it, it's interesting how it... It's fairly accurate. I mean, that was like my one heuristic example or sorry, one anecdotal example of seeing what that surge pricing would look like where it actually was cheaper to take a cab.
0: Yeah, for sure. I remember that we were trying to go back from the bars one night and my phone was dying. And the only person who had a working phone that still had some battery they were like blackout drunk and we just got him to wake up just long enough <laughs> to like <laughs> open up his phone and unlock his phone and then order, order a car. And we actually didn't do it off Uber that time because Uber was surge pricing. So we went off, um, oh, sorry, we did do it with Uber, but what I didn't realize at the time until we got the bill later was we ordered like an Uber black. And so that's, that was like really expensive. And we're like, it was really tough to like say like, Hey, sorry, we have to split this four or five ways and it's like $25 ride which would usually be like a $15 ride total and this is when you're in college so it's not as big of a deal when you're like making money but yeah I mean it's still expensive just for a car ride right
1: what is the most expensive uber that you've ever been or ride sharing that you've ever been
0: that time was expensive it was about a hundred dollars but there's four of us and it was surge pricing that was like kind of a corner case I think I took a ride through I tried to get to LAX from Somewhere in the LA area. And it was like a two hour ride. And I think that oh. ended up being like 70 or 80 bucks. Like that was a that was probably the most expensive legit ride that I had. Um, <laughs> but that was also on through a company work travel. So it wasn't that bad for me personally, but it was a super long ride because there's this insane amount of traffic. What about yeah. you? Yeah,
1: I think for me, like my, my most expensive edge case was something like $180, $190 before tip. Because it was during the Boston Marathon. My fiance was running the Boston Marathon mm-hmm. and I was with her mom. And like Lindsay and I were trying to get from like one location to the next location, just basically to try to see Adrian as, in as many locations as we could. Mm-hmm. And the Boston Marathon actually you know cuts through like and you can't pass traffic you know for 26.2 miles so oh there was, wow there's only like one like so you basically cut the supply in half you know it's yeah. like, there's only yeah. like half the supplies on on one side anyways like we we had ordered a um uber has a feature where it's you can share your ride with others i for, actually forget what it's called i'm blanking on it uber pool uber right? pool mm-hmm. that's right So we we did an Uber pool to save a little bit of money because search pricing was outrageous. And the the Uber pool actually converted to a regular Uber X because no one else was able to get onto, um, (laughs) into our, into our ride. So like, as we're riding the, the dollar value of the ride went up from like, I don't know, like $50 all the way up to like $150. And we were just like stuck. We were just like, Hey, like drop us off wherever you can. Like, we'll like, you know, shimmy wherever we can.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's rough. I, I think they might've changed that because I know the counterpoint to that is, um is I've taken Uber pools before from, let's say the airport to the house. And I have like a very unique route and Uber pool, for those of you that are unacquainted, will like Mike mentioned, try to pick up and drop off people that are on a similar route. So you're not taking too much time out of the main route. So you get a variant of amount of time. It might be like plus or minus 10 minutes of your travel time, depending on if you pick up people. I've been really lucky with airport travel with Uber pool and that I will sometimes get the entire ride to myself and don't have to pick up or drop off anybody. And because of that, it's cheaper. I've never had it convert for me though, to an Uber X. So I wonder if they've changed it. Cause I know that I've done that Uber pool thing like semi recently, but yeah, that's rough. (laughs) Like imagine that you're going to pay for a $50 (laughs) ride and it three X just on the ride itself.
1: it was definitely painful, but I'm happy. Like we, I got to, I got to see Adrian at the, uh, you know, in multiple spots, like throughout the marathon. It was just like wild, getting into like a Uber that had multiple digits or like three digits <laughs> instead of two.
0: I remember one time we we're in San Francisco during Fourth of July, trying to go from the Ferry Building down to, I don't remember exactly. Maybe it was some bar. It was like maybe like a point six mile ride, which normally is like a ten, maybe eight or ten dollar ride, if that, and. It was like a $20, $30 ride because it was standstill traffic on Embarcadero and like nobody was moving. So we just got out because we're like, what's the point anymore, right? Like there's no yeah. point in sitting in this Uber and just waiting. I think this was before all the scooters came out and there was like more mm-hmm. accessible, not like ride sharing, but like scooter sharing or bike sharing services. So we could have just taken that had we known, but you know, that I don't think those were around at the time. So let's talk about the history of the product. I think Uber has been around for a good amount of time. And it's kind of peaked and come down a little bit since. But Uber originally was founded as Uber Cab in 2009 by Garrett Camp and Travis. I I don't know if I'm pronouncing the last name right, but Kalanick? Is it Kalanick? Yeah. Um, Or Kalanick? Um, It's, It's Kalanick. Okay. So, yeah, it went live in SF in 2010. And they were initially offering limo rides from the app, just trying to do a proof of concept that, hey, isn't it cool that you can just hail a ride on your phone? Travis Kalanick stepped in as CEO in 2010, and he was CEO for most of the history of Uber, as most people know it. They expanded to New York City and Chicago in 2011, so pretty fast growth in that short period of time. Something that was really interesting was some of the early hires in Uber, and I think this is what's kind of novel about working at a startup, is that they hired a nuclear physicist, a computational neuroscientist, and a machinery expert. And they all worked on this demand predicting algorithm for hiring car drivers. That's kind of a really important feature of Uber is that they can figure out the surge pricing. They can try to meet demand by telling Uber drivers, hey, if you drive now, like it's going to start surging. This is a good time to quote unquote go to work instead of like the traditional cab model where people are just kind of sitting at the cab hub and waiting for calls, or then they just drive around maybe wasting a bunch of time. So I think having a lot of this big data really helped drive Uber towards this idea of optimal efficiency and being able to provide the right amount of supply for the amount of people that are demanding it, regardless of you know where you're at or what the events are happening or if there's a spike in current events, like something happens, you know they can charge different surge pricing. Uber was initially focused on luxury rides, so higher end rides. I mentioned the limos before, but in 2012, UberX launched, and that was a pretty big shift in their business model. Basically, UberX allowed drivers to use lower-end cars and even personal vehicles, so long as they passed like, a background check and an application. And then pretty much anybody was allowed to start providing rideshare services. So you started to see the true beginning of the gig economy as we know it.
1: Totally. And it's, it's interesting with, I remember when UberX first came out, the band of cars that were allowed was pretty wide. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah, I, I definitely got into some very sketchy automobiles <laughs> that might not have, you know, should maybe should not have made past inspection. I remember when I was, I was living in Boston at the time and we were in this like extremely old, I think it was like a Kia that just like reeked of cigarette smoke. And oh. like, I, I felt like we were going to be like Fred Flintstone where like the, <laughs> it was just going to rust out of the bottom and we'd you start to, like foot pedaling. Yeah. Yeah. But, but even like the driver, he was all over the place. Like I'm pretty sure like, I don't know, it was just weird. Like he was like all over like every lane. I just did not feel safe yeah, <laughs> during, yeah, yeah. during the ride. But I think the bar has definitely gotten higher with the background checks, but I know initially it was definitely a little bit rough.
0: I've definitely had a mixed bag of experiences with Uber and Lyft. I had one instance where the driver was trying to tell racist jokes during the ride. And so that was really uncomfortable. You're you're sitting there kind of hostage in someone else's car for a little totally. bit so you can kind of get out. I did have somebody else that was like pr- a pretty reckless driver kind of weaving in and out of traffic. I mean, Uber does have a, a rating system. And I believe that anything below a four and you get kicked out of Uber As a driver or you're in some sort of like, you know, probationary period or whatever. I think the same thing goes for riders as well. There's actually a rider Mm -hmm. score and you get a rider score. It's harder to find because it's less pertinent. But I remember comparing rider scores with people and I was wondering, like, what did I do wrong? Like, I I normally just sit in the car and I literally don't say a word until I get out of the car and I just say things. Maybe people are mad that I'm not talking to them, (laughs) like you (laughs) alluded to at the beginning of the show. But yeah, like, I think UberX was a pretty pivotal moment for Uber because they transitioned from this uh, idea of strict control of the supply and just allowing the gig economy to kind of take over and providing the platform for people to do the work.
1: Totally. Yeah. And I think that's um, a super key decision for them to to do that because it really just opened up, you know, just the total addressable market that they could go after. I mean, you know, instead of just offering like the traditional, you know, black Lincoln cars or whatever the make and model was now you're talking about anyone with a you know a six-year-old or newer (laughs) toyota or Mm honda or insert car x and and, and able to do that And, and to your point with like the the feature of ratings i think that's a huge like underrated and also just like under talked about aspect of uber as a product is just how that feeds into their you know demand modeling where it's like hey like you know if you're a five star rider, you're actually going to get preference over a four star rider because like you maybe you get better tips or it's mm-hmm. you're just easier customer. You're going to get prioritized. And same thing for drivers. T- to your point, you're just going to get kicked off the platform um, if you're not hitting like X, Y, or Z.
0: Yeah, and it's really interesting how people that use Uber as a major means of income, like how they. Treat Uber as basically as a job. I know it's a side gig for some people, but I've talked to a lot of Uber drivers that are like, "Hey, the reason why people get into Uber is not because of the rides themselves, but because of the incentive program. I don't know if it's still around, but there's an incentive program to keep you driving. You hit certain milestones, like 50 rides, 100 rides, etc., and Uber kind of gives you a bonus to kind of stay loyal to the company. And then what happens is that they keep working towards these milestones and they're trying to get as many rides as possible. I know that there was a lot of people when I used to ride Uber more frequently that they would actually drive up from central California up to the Bay Area, do their rides and drive back down. That's, That's not an easy commute. Yeah. yeah, so. no,
1: that, that is not a short distance to drive. That's Exactly.
0: Wild. Yeah, exactly. And they, they can kind of like game the system. For example, you can set a preference for returning home and they'll give you rides that generally take you back home. And so People might recognize that and they might know when to turn the feature on and off. It's just crazy. It's crazy to see how people have kind of played around the Uber reward system when it comes to getting paid for their work and you know what it's resulted in. But obviously, there's a strong gig economy right now of drivers for both Uber and, of course, Lyft. And I, at least in major metropolitan areas, is there's no shortage of finding an Uber ride at any point.
1: Totally. I think my favorite anecdote that there is I remember going into someone's some uber drivers car and he had like four screens up it was back in the day when there was like two other like new entrants to the market that were basically just giving dollar rides and heavily incenting Mm -hmm. the drivers (laughs) to, to onboard to the platform so he was actually like um just trying to be as efficient as possible and he was he would like cancel the uber ride and I cancel, he would drop off the Uber people as he was picking up a Lyft person yep. and just try to like, you know, create his own system for, for optimizing it. And he was convinced that it was more profitable than how Uber was um, doing their driver deployment system. So I, I just thought that was hilarious where it literally looked like a command spaceship because he yeah, had so many yeah. screens up and just trying yep. to figure out who to pick up next. Yeah,
0: they always have multiple phones. They have both Uber and Lyft stickers on their vehicle, things like that. Continuing on with the history, in 2014, Uber launched Uber Pool. And we talked about Uber Pool before, a ride-sharing service where you can share the ride with other people, typically strangers, that are happen to be on the same path as you. And also Uber Eats, which is a food delivery service that allows you to order uh, takeout from any local restaurant. So similar to DoorDash, etc. And um, all of that
1: is like weird to think about just from just talking it out. Like if I told you 20 years ago that you could look into a glass rectangle and share a ride with someone to the airport that you've never met for half the price of a cab, you'd be like, what the hell are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> or if I said, you could why look would into," I... it, Yeah, exactly. Why would I do this?
0: So in 2019, Uber finally IPO'd after some really turbulent uh, couple of years of not making much profit. And I think What's funny about the IPO day in 2019 was that they actually had an 11% drop on the first day, which is, I think, the largest first day drop ever, which is pretty incredible and pretty crazy.
1: That's wild. And I think on that note, though, I mean, my earlier joke about taking venture capital money and just distributing it for or discounting (laughs) cheap rides, I think that is kind of true. I mean, If you look at their financials, even to this day, I mean, they IPO'd in 2019 and it's, you know, we're a year and a half, 18 months later, and they're still not profitable. They are on what they say EBITDA profitable in 2021. And for you non finance nerds out there, that um, have no idea what I'm talking about. Uh, EBITDA rather is earnings before interest, tax depreciation, and amortization. So that's a very standard term that most businesses use in accounting, but Uber takes it to another level where they actually adjust their EBITDA um, definition with 12 additional categories of exclusion. So they're actually not even um, excluding all other like costs um, that are associated with the business to just claim that profitability number. Um, so it's definitely a head scratcher for me <laughs> on yeah, that, that what their path is.
0: Strange. Yeah. Like just trying to say like, oh, look, we're profitable with a lot of like asterisks and caveats and,
1: exactly. and fine print, right? Read the terms and conditions before investing. We will be profitable.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so in 2019, that same year that they IPO'd, I think they weren't getting the growth and traction that they're hoping for. Two months after IPO, they laid off a bunch of people. I remember that this was in the news. 2019 was a pretty good time still in tech in terms of tech jobs, if I recall. Like we weren't anticipating immediate layoffs across the board, like for COVID. I, I specifically want to call this out because I remember that there was a list put together and it was circulated throughout LinkedIn and all the news of ex Uber employees that were looking for work. So it was actually a really cool, I call it like philanthropic or like social good exercise of ex Uberites putting together a list of really talented individuals so that other companies in the Bay Area could come in and swoop them up um, and put them in uh, the top of the funnel for interviews, et cetera, because they, they know that they're talented and unfortunately got laid off in this particular round. So it was cool to see that happen and to see them help a fellow Uber ex employee go back into working in tech really quickly with a short turnaround time of layoffs. A couple of things I wanted to mention before we wrapped up the history was Uber has a long list of controversies. We're not going to cover all of those in this episode. You could probably we could probably do a mini series on Uber <laughs> controversies. I'll um, we'll combine to list...
1: it with a, like it'll be a tell-all of WeWork and, uh, and Uber Theranos. all at once. Yeah, exactly. exactly.
0: <laughs> so some of the controversies that I wanted to call out were one: there's this idea of principled confrontation, which is something that Kalanick had kind of penned. It was this idea of fighting any regulatory opposition tooth and nail, and this winner-take-all mentality. Uber operated in a lot of cities illegally, and they had a lot of weight to push around because they were pushing for favorable regulatory policies. And they were saying, okay, well, if you don't want us to operate in your city, we won't, you know, build an Uber office in your city, and then you won't get the tax money from it. So they're kind of holding some of these things hostage. And I I think Austin was a big city of contention, for example, and they were doing a lot of things that weren't technically allowed from a regulatory perspective, but they're definitely asking for uh, forgiveness and not permission
1: and i remember like being in london in 2014 for my job and there was like you know just massive uprising of all of the the black cabs in london of just like you can't let uber come in here like and it's interesting with like london cabs is that in order to become like a london cabbie like you have to like the bar is extremely high mm-hmm. i remember one of my coworkers was telling me and someone can confirm if this is true or not but uh, in order to get your license to be a London cab driver, you actually need to like memorize routes by. You just need to memorize routes. Essentially, be like your own Google Maps, yeah. where like they like they would say, you know, we need to go from Mayfair to uh, Kensington. Like, what's the best way to get there? Mm-hmm. And then imagine that there's a festival happening in June. How are you going to get there? And then they have to tell you. And that's like how wow. you pass. Is like you, yeah. It's like th- it's like that in depth. Jeez,
0: Yeah. I remember before Google Maps, I was pretty good at memorizing directions, but now mm-hmm. I'm like terrible because <laughs> I'm just so relying on it. Um, and it didn't help that I moved to another large metropolitan city. Another major controversy was that there was a slew of sexual harassment allegations amongst leadership. Kalanick himself had knowledge of some of these um, allegations and didn't do anything, which is pretty bad. He even argued with an Uber driver around the time those allegations were happening. And I think maybe this might have been two arguments, two different Uber drivers, but it sounds like there's one around sexual allegations and then another one around driver wages. I remember that he there's um, paparazzi photos of this guy arguing with with Travis and uh, his policies and that just doesn't go over well when your CEO is just in a cab, like arguing with somebody that's on your platform in the gig economy, right? It doesn't doesn't look good for your brand. Totally. It doesn't show a lot of empathy, right? Another thing that was really controversial was this idea of Godview. Have you heard of Godview um, in the Uber sense?
1: Yeah, it's like when Morgan Freeman has all the screens up and tells Batman, I'm going to kill this as soon as we're done with this episode, <laughs> because this is way too much power for anyone to have.
0: Yeah, exactly. So um, God view for the people at home, Uber was able to track all the customers movements because they know where all the cab drivers are. They've got geolocated data on the phones, et cetera. And a lot of the employees were abusing this policy. So they were bringing it up during parties. Hey, let's just watch this random person get into a cab and go from point A to point B and watch them on a large projector. And, you know, it's just really creepy, right? It's very Big Brother-esque and it's an invasion of privacy. This was Probably, I think, before all the GDPR stuff kind of took fold. And I think privacy has become a major ticket item with respect to tech companies in the U.S. Totally. So that Totally. You can't do things like that anymore. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Those are the good old days. I wish I could just watch my neighbor take a cab to the airport. But no, it was super creepy. So obviously, it was no go for them. Travis Kalanick resigned in 2017. And then I'm definitely going to butcher this name. Dara... ProSource Shahi um, was hired as, as a CEO. From what I heard, he spent like I don't know, like 16 months doing an apology tour for, for Travis <laughs> after they had you know IPO'd and weren't delivering on the success that they were promising.
1: Yeah, and, and to your point, I think that we could dive as deep as we could into this in a whole mini series of of um, you know all the allegations in Uber and how it was run. I know in, in B school for me, like we had a couple week classes. Couple of weeks of classes just dedicated to this from like an organizational standpoint, but we won't dive any more into that. <laughs> So yeah, let's talk about who Uber is for. I mean, I think we already, you know, covered it and we've been like circling around it. But as I mentioned earlier, it's really for, um, there's two sides of it. So if you look at the drivers, um, we can just talk about, Jeff touched on this a little bit earlier, how Uber went to market. Uh, they started with Uber black with super luxury cars. They went to Uber X. And so Uber internally actually classifies their drivers in four ways. They have the pros, the crossovers new enthusiasts, and part-timers. The pros, they call, are their partners that are Uber Black Luxury Car Service. They have the highest uh, proportion of drivers that have been on this platform for over six months. Crossovers are people that uh, might have previously driven taxis or black cars, and they're, they're kind of new to the platform. New enthusiasts are people that are new to, to UberX and they've been using UberX consistently. And then part-timers who are the largest group on the UberX platform are just those seeking really to you know, fill in X, Y, and Z. They're really just looking for flexible earning uh, opportunities. 75% of this group actually have a different job outside outside of Uber. And so there's also the customer segment. Uh, so if you look at the number of customers that are taking rides, it's really I think at the point where it's just Uber is for everyone, where it's just anyone that with a phone really can download the app and hail a ride. If you look at 2019 data in the fourth quarter of 2019, Uber had 1.9 billion rides <laughs> across the world, which is a huge number that definitely it went down by about 25 percent to 1.4 in 2020 just due to, to COVID. I'm actually surprised that it only went down by 25 percent because I have not stepped foot in an Uber in a long time. I think maybe once over the past 15 months, uh, maybe twice, yeah. actually twice, two times that I can think of. And yeah, it's just a massive amount of people that are willing to, to pay for rides. I think that another interesting anecdote as well, and Jeff's going to get into the competition in a, in a little bit, but just talking about, I saw a really interesting chart comparing the quarterly cost of a, you know, a, I think it was like a six mile ride. And Lyft was actually 20% cheaper in from 2016 to 2018.
0: Yeah. Speaking of Lyft, let's talk about some of the other competitors. So Lyft is on there. There you know, were other competitors around car rentals, and there was a service called Car2Go. Have you heard of Car2Go? They're, they're defunct yep. now, but Car2Go is basically you can walk up to it, and you can open up the car via app. There are smart cars. You can drive around around the city. We actually did that when we were in Seattle a few years ago. I guess when you were in Seattle, was Car2Go still around, or...
1: They were in the process of shutting down. I think yeah. um, like they were around when I was an intern in 2018, and then when I was living there from 2019 to 2020, I think they were just like it was like get like I know they were shutting down. So like you because it was weird because like they had a car to go had a partnership with City of Seattle where they could park literally anywhere. Yep. So it yeah. was really annoying to just like have like a parking spot just gone because yeah. uh, car to go is there.
0: They did the same thing in Austin, which is where I originally um, found out about Car2Go and the rides were super cheap. And I mean, it's just good to get from point A to point B within the city on 6th Street or whatever, instead of having to pay for an Uber is much cheaper. And yeah, a lot of people didn't know about it. So it was a pretty great idea. Like you said, it was easier to park because you can park in any city meter and they had to deal with the city so they wouldn't charge you for it. I think I mentioned bike shares. If I didn't, then obviously bike shares, scooter shares, all those types of things to get in more local areas. And then old school cabs and just like having your own car. Those are all competitors in that similar space. One thing I forgot to touch on before was this has to do with both Lyft and Uber. But at least in San Francisco, there is recently a lot of policy changes with Mm -hmm. respect to the gig economy workers and what their benefits are like. I can't remember exactly what they're pushing for, but I do remember that there was a lot of lobbying and it was between both Lyft and Uber. I think it was lobbying to stop giving their gig economy drivers benefits. It's basically saying that, oh, they have data that says that most of those people are doing it on the side. They'd rather have that money be in the form of like higher wages versus benefits and they don't want to give the benefits instead. And Lyft and Uber were arguing that it's better for their drivers and then on the other side, the argument was that, well, you know, I'd rather the drivers get benefits. So it's kind of this back and forth of like, who who is the main archetype of, you know, gig economy drivers and what are they asking for? What do they need? Do they want benefits or do they already have benefits from another job? And this is for extra side cash. If so, do you want the side cash to be more or greater? Things like that.
1: Yeah, I think it just goes back down to like the, since both these companies, <laughs> Lyft and Uber went public, there's just this real need to be Profitable, and mm-hmm. one of the ways to do that is just to find the way to cut your expenses. And their expenses are paying reasonable wages <laughs> to, to their drivers. Like I think there's a reason why cabs cost what they they cost before. And I feel like Uber's and Lyft both have been able to reach so much market share and it grow as fast as they they were able to because they were essentially subsidizing rides where it was it was much cheaper to take an Uber versus a cab. But I think like now we're seeing the reckoning of, well, we actually need to pay these like drivers, like what they're, what they're worth or like, like living wages. And I think that there's going to be a constant like regulatory battle between Uber and Lyft and how you classify workers. Are they contractors? Are they employees? And so on and so forth. And so I'm curious to see like how it settles, but I think that whenever it does settle, it's going to be too late because both Uber and Lyft are also working on autonomous vehicles. So eventually they'll just replace these workers, these poor workers with, with just self-driving cars yeah, where you ha- exactly, exactly. So I think that's an interesting way that for the future, how Uber and Lyft are um, positioned.
0: Yeah. And at the beginning of the show, I called Uber a uh, transportation company or even a logistics company. I didn't call them a cab ride share company anymore um, because they're working in so many different industries, from uh, food gig economy and transporting food around to Uber Freight and moving things around. Or there was even an endeavor for an Uber helicopter service to move people <laughs> via air. I remember that. So I think they're in the business of moving stuff around. They're not in the business of being a, you know, a carpool service or a rideshare service. Let's talk about our thoughts. I think it's uh, pretty on brand to talk about a five-star review, especially when it comes to Uber, <laughs> um, I'm happy to go first. I think the idea behind Uber is pretty incredible. I won't deny that they've started this or really made gig economy a popular business model, like the DoorDashes, the Instacarts, the Lyfts, etc. There's a lot of companies that are moving towards this gig economy model because there's a lot of ready and willing workers that want to do this as a part-time thing or want some extra cash. And I think it's really smart that they're expanding away from just taxi and cab services towards moving X, whether it's people, products, resources, et cetera. The problem that I have with Uber is currently the pricing is great for me, but they haven't turned a profit without all those caveats and exclusions that you're mentioning. <laughs> and basically, since I'm aware, I like since the inception of the product. So I think there's definitely some issues with how they're making money, there's a lot of concerns. I think from a ethics perspective, uh, looking, I don't know if, how, how often we've looked at a company due to their ethics, maybe except for the WeWork episode, but the ethics are pretty questionable. I, I, you know, They've done a lot of things, broken a lot of rules to get to where they are. At the beginning of the show, you even mentioned something along the lines of that the majority of the drivers are men. So I'm curious if that's because women don't feel secure or safe driving in an Uber or if, mm-hmm. if there's other reasons. You know, discriminatory reasons, etc. through the application process. I think it's just like there's a lot of stuff to be said about the company, but I, I really like the idea. So that's where I'm a little bit torn. If I were to give it a score, I'd probably give it like a three and a half. Most of it falls towards the idea, the strategy, etc. and what they're offering. But I have to take points away for the fact that we don't know if the pricing is going to go up so that they can turn a profit. We don't know if uh, the leadership is going to clean its act up. We don't know about all those things. And especially how is the world, or at least the U.S., going to react to returning to normalcy and then using, you know, Uber or Lyft after the pandemic's over?
1: Yeah, I I, I totally echo like that. I mean, if I just decouple Uber as just a pure product, it's probably one of the highest rated rated products that I could think of. For me, it's like absolutely revolutionary and like I'm sure how, like how much I'm sure all of those you know Better Call Saul lawyers that deal with drunk drivers have probably lost a ton of business because <laughs> Uber and Lyft have just been able to, it, it, it's just like non-question. If you're going to go mm. out with your, your friends, you're just going to order an Uber and Lyft and you're not yeah. going to get in the car after, after having a few drinks. So I, I love that. And just being able to get where you need to be, and it's so cheap, <laughs> like you're just, and it's inconvenient and it knows exactly where you are. Mm. And it's just, it's able to, you know, give you the time of where you're going to be. I love that, but I think that all the other holistic implications from like the ethics to what the company's doing and how they're paying drivers and why is it so cheap really brings it down. So I actually would say it's, you know, a four and a half star product, but probably like a three-star company um, and <laughs> falling somewhere in between um, for, my, for my final review. So those are our thoughts on Uber, and we would love to hear from you, our audience. So feel free to share what you think with us. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at products podcast that's p-r-o-d-e-x podcast
0: yeah and if you like the show be sure to like us and subscribe on your favorite podcast platforms like spotify apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, etc if you enjoyed your ride leave a five-star review let us know what products we should review next and let us know how we're doing see you next episode